Welcome to Let's Play Business. Welcome everyone to Let's Play Business, the show that explores how games can make people better at business and business better for people. Welcome back to the show. So Zuki, welcome back. Episode number eight, I believe. Anyway, what you've been up to, what you've been playing and businessing. You know what, Ben? I've been taking a bit of a break from your gaming recently. I've been doing a lot of reading, but I've been eyeing up. You remember Final Fantasy VII, one of the the greatest games of all time. Yeah, I do remember it. They've released a remake of Final Fantasy VII, which I am definitely going to be getting my hands on soon. Once I finish reading, once I finish this whole book thing, that's where I'll be spending my time. And in businessing, we just released some new products, in fact. You're in market for a snazzy, brand new leather accessory. Then you come over to snakehive.co.uk because we have some new goodies just for you. And if our listener is vegan, what should they do, Zuki? If they are vegan, they should go to Google <laughs> and explore the rest of the internet. <laughs> what about you, Ben? What have you been businessing and what have you been gaming? Let's start with the gaming front. A little bit like you, I've been playing a few things, but not loads recently. What I've actually been doing, but I've seen a lot of game parallels in it recently. So I've been absolutely hooked on the TV series Succession, which just kicked off for a third season. And I've been pondering the program. I appreciate the gamification within it, Zuki. So, you know, you've got these four rather spoiled children. Well, they're not children anymore. They're obviously adults. And this kind of media mogul father. And they're all trying to succeed him as CEO of this vast media conglomerate. You know, lots of backstabbing, lots of ruthlessness. But you really start rooting for certain characters, even though they're all terrible people. And just the kind of competitiveness of it. It makes me realise that a lot of these TV programmes, like they're so gamified in their format, so they have you rooting for different people at different points. It's very competitive. And even the terminology in it, they often say, you know, that was a great play, that was a great move. It's like a chess game. Weird, so it's a show about business, but it feels like a game? That sounds like a pretty good concept. Someone should really tap into that. There's a market there. <laughs> Businessing, so we've got a couple of bits on the radar at the moment. So we've got puzzle seasons. You know, teams are a lot more fractured than perhaps they used to be. Hybrid working, whatever you want to call it, all those different terminologies quite, you know, burnt out from the last 18 months. And Puzzle Seasons is kind of what I call little and often team building. You're almost part of a TV series for 12 weeks, where in little teams you kind of solve puzzles over time, come together as a team frequently rather than just one big bang. And yeah, that's kind of the idea behind it. So quite excited about that. And then secondly, we also are just doing a bit of work on games for events, so different entertainment games, some kind of engagement games, networking games. So we've got Speed Monopoly type game that we can run. We've got this kind of riddles within your exhibition type game. These like all group energizers, so a lot of variety. And of course, gearing up for Christmas. The Christmas rush, which I'm hoping is gonna happen. I'm sure it will, Ben, you gotta have faith. Those puzzle seasons, that sounds legit. I was just thinking the other day, actually, there are people who I work with who I haven't actually had a proper conversation with that isn't about work for literally months. That's the kind of thing which could be pretty good for gluing us back together. We do lots of team building games, obviously, and they're these big games that you do once every six months as a company or whatever it might be. Puzzle seasons is a little bit different. It's more trying to have little and often team building so that you don't go these, like say, long periods of time where you're just not really connecting 
in that kind of way as a team. They're not huge games, each episode is like 10, 20 minutes, but you know, you pad it onto team meetings, whatever it might be, it gives you a reason to come together. Also, hopefully it'll work quite well for kind of cohorts, like, you know, graduate cohorts or those kind of things. So we're hoping it generates a buzz. I like it, I like it. Innovation, big fan of that stuff. So the way this is going to work, listener, we've got three rounds or three levels even. So first round, Game of the Decade, where we're going to take our favorite game and find out what it's taught us about business. Make the case for why it is Game of the Decade. Level two, ding goes the interview. We're going to invite a guest on, we have a guest this episode, and ask them about their business journey and how games may have helped them along the way. And level three, final level, game my problem. We'll have 60 seconds to come up with a game that will help solve one of your business problems. So, Zuki, we've got, a, as I say, a guest for this episode, and we do have the one and only Liam Bateman. Liam, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on board. Tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, who you are. My name's Liam Bateman, and I'm the CTO and co-founder of a digital agency in Manchester called Silverchip. Very nice. How long have you been going for? We have been in business for about 11 years now. Has it been a fun 11 years? No regrets? No regrets. Lots of games played over them 11 years, as we'll find out shortly. Nice. And when we say digital agency, tell us a little bit more about what that means. So we build bespoke digital products. So that can be anything from mobile applications, websites, games. We've just released a bank, for example, a mobile bank. Anything in the digital space, anything that involves a mobile app, a website, a computer, we build things for. What's been your favorite project to date, Liam? My favorite project to date was a project called Silverworld, where we built a two-dimensional virtual world where you could interact with people in a kind of Pokemon slash Zelda style in the web browser. I would love to play that. Wonderful, Liam. Well, welcome to the show. We look forward to finding out a little bit more about some of those games that you've enjoyed playing over the years. Level one, game of the decade. So Zuki, game of the decade time. Welcome back, listener. I understand that you've got something in store for us this time, Zuki. You've got a game you want to make the case for as game of the decade. What's it going to be? So, the nominee that I have for game of the decade, it involves power, accuracy, and an intimate knowledge of the thickness of your fingertips. Our nominee for game of the decade is... 10-pin bowling. It's 10-pin bowling, people. Oh, I'm so bad at 10-pin bowling. Does this mean I'm bad at business? Is that what you're going to tell me? <laughs> I mean, you might be, Ben. I'm going to ask you that question when we get to the end of this and we can find out if, based on my analysis, you are good or bad at business. <laughs> Go on then, make your case. Okay, so we've all played a bit of 10-pin bowling. Absolute classic. You show up, you put on some of those fancy shoes, you sling a big heavy ball down an oiled lane at 10 pins, and that is basically the game. And it's going to be our game of the decade for three good reasons. First up, it is a game that balances two things, power and precision. These are two forces that often conflict in bowling, yes, but also in business. We all know the classic tripes of like a headstrong CEO who will have it her way or no way at all. Or there's also the CEO or leader who is so concerned about making the right decision that he never makes any decision at all. And that is the conflict of power versus precision in the world of business. And what 10-pin bowling teaches you is that in order to be good at 10-pin bowling, you you don't need one or the other, you absolutely need both. You will never get a strike with just precision, you will never get a strike with just power, you need a delicate combination of the two. And that is also the case 
in business. That's where success lies. Another lesson for you is that it teaches you to build on your successes. So when you're playing a game of bowling, if you get a spare, all 10 pins go down, but it's over two shots in your turn instead of just the one, one being a strike. Your next shot gets double points. If you get a strike, then your next turn gets double points. So what this means is that you benefit massively from following up a good shot with another good shot or a good turn with another good turn. You basically compound your successes. And it's the same in business. So if you have a product that's way more popular than your other products, then it makes sense to follow up by investing and bringing that same product to new markets. Or if you have a market that's really taking off, then it makes sense to double down on that market and really invest your attention there. You're better off with following your success with more success as opposed to trying off some weird trick shot and seeing if that pays off. And finally, bowling is a game that's all about knowing yourself. And this is where the thickness of the fingers comes in. It's about knowing how strong your throw is, at what point you're gonna lose your precision and have too much power. It's a game about knowing how thick your fingertips are, which will impact the ball that you decide to choose. And it's a game of understanding how far your arm crosses your body when you swing, because that will affect your precision and your accuracy. And these factors, they affect your whole game from the choice of ball that you make to where you stand on the lane and ultimately how many pins you score in each turn. So just like in business, the better you know yourself as a leader, the better you know your business, your customers and your market, the more likely you are to strike big. So that is why temp and bowling should be our game of the decade. You know when you throw the ball down the sides, what does that mean? Well, I mean, it's, you're in the gutter, mate. <laughs> it shouldn't be that. If you're throwing your ball down the gutter, that's like having a shop with no opening hours. You're not even showing up, don't do that. But there's also obviously the game of bowling where you put the sides up and you just remove the gutters altogether. It's called favourable market conditions. <laughs> That's called venture capital backing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Zuki, you've really gone to town on this analogy. I can see where you're coming from. Your point was interesting around following up success with success. What you didn't say, actually, when you've made a good throw, say when you've got a strike, the lesson from that is to follow up with the same technique again rather than altering your technique. So recognizing a winning formula or a winning technique is the key to compounding returns there rather than constantly switching up. Yeah, and we've talked a lot in the past about how innovation is a good thing, and I'm a big fan of innovation, but you gotta innovate at the right time, in the right way. You know, if you've got a, a recipe for success, you don't necessarily wanna throw that recipe success away and you know start throwing the ball between your legs or anything. Have you ever played Tempin Bowl? I'm, I'm assuming you have at some point, Liam. Can you relate to these uh, lessons that Zuki's in no way grabbing for? Yeah, I think he makes some good points. There's two more I wanna add there as well, but the first bit is that I must say that Silverchip are actually the regional digital champions at bowling from about 2014 where we turned up to a bowling event and beat something like 35 other teams. We still got the trophy in the office, we're that proud of it. I think everything you said there is great. I think there's two other bits to probably add is that you mentioned about when you have that winning formula, keeping it, but the chances of someone standing up picking the ball up and hitting that strike first time are really slim and it's more that iterative ability. So, you know, if you're off to the left the first time, you make a slight adjustment. And it's the same in business, basically. You you see what works and what doesn't, and then you make slight iterative adjustments as you move forward. That is a very good point. You might be surprised to learn that I actually went bowling recently, <laughs> but that's exactly the process I went on. I picked up a ball that was way too light to begin with, and then I picked up one that was way too heavy, and then I found my Goldilocks recipe in the middle, and I was playing around with the sizes of the finger holes, and my game improved so much over the course of the night. But yeah, it's exactly as you say. It's about the iteration and that improvement and that being able to observe what's working and what's not working and where the errors are forming and those are the same skills that you definitely need to apply in business. With bowling it's very visual where you can see immediately like what you've done wrong but also what I think is interesting with bowling and I, I feel like I've certainly felt this at times in business is you can see what you've done wrong but it can be really hard to correct it unless you've bowled a lot 
been in business a lot. It's really hard to analyze your technique to the point that you can very deliberately course correct immediately. Sometimes in business where I've made a clear mistake, but correcting it has been a bit fuzzy. I know something's not quite right in the technique, but I struggle to, you know, in that quick decision-making process, like work out exactly how I need to tweak it. Sometimes it's, it's a bit mysterious. Oh, that's a very good point. And Ben, when you're in those situations where you're working with imperfect information, what do you do? Get very frustrated. <laughs> throw your ball on the ground and storm off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the thing. I try all kinds of things. Some things work and some things don't. And I think that is the truth when it comes to trying to get it right. It's not a, it's a, not a nice, clean road. A lot of the time, it's really zigzaggy. Especially in business, you'd never go in and overhaul the whole thing. So you've had that one attempt. It didn't go so well. You wouldn't then pick up a different ball, take a different run up, take a different aim. You change one thing and see how that kind of adjusts. And in business, it's no different. You change something small, see what the effect is. Change something else, see what the effect is, and so on. Well, Zuki, not a bad shout. There was more to it than I expected, because I didn't expect a lot when you said 10-pin bowling. So well done, Zuki. Thank you for bringing that one in into Let's Play Business. Level two, ding goes the interview. Welcome back, listener, to Ding Goes the Interview. It's time to put our guests through the motions and see what kind of games have influenced their business and career. So, Liam, you ready? I'm ready. And of course, we will be awarding you dings throughout this, depending on how good we deem your answers to be. So question number one, what is your favorite ever game and why? So this is probably the hardest question to ever ask somebody that plays a lot of games. And I think I've come to the conclusion that it would be in RuneScape. Whoa. Which was an online multiplayer game from the early 2000s. For me, it was the accumulation of all of the games before that. So your Pokemons, your Age of Empires, all of these different games that appeared, this seemed to have all of the core concepts I enjoyed in games. Liam, just for our five listeners that may not have played RuneScape before, you know, just give us a bit of a rundown of how it works and what it's about. Of course, so RuneScape was, like I said, it was an online multiplayer world where you had a character. It could have been an archer, it could have been a swordsman, an axeman, and there was combat. You would fight beasts and monsters, but you would also trade with other players. You would develop skills such as fishing, cooking, woodcutting. So you effectively had a character in a virtual world that you could craft into whatever you wanted it to be. It was a huge game. Everyone I knew played it. It was a great game that brought all the good things of so many previous games combined. I'd be curious to get your take on the, the social element as well, Liam, because I think it was one of those games that really started to break barriers for how social games could be. I go back to the moment that we signed up for that game. I was sat with a friend and, and we signed up for it. And this was in the super early days of it. And when we logged in, it was one of the first games where we stood there in this world and there was players around us moving and there was chatter popping above their characters. It was probably the first one that got it right but that fundamentally made the game because without that, you can't trade. Without that, you can't go and attack big monsters together and form them groups and them strategies. So this was one of the first games to get the social element really bob on. It was accessible to everybody. You could load up your web browser. You didn't need to have a really high-end PC, which was awesome. So the social part of it was critical to it. So yeah, huge. One thing I really liked about it as a game, I, I hated it, but I also really liked about it. It was very all or nothing. You could have a brilliant, fully spec'd out character and then you go off into the wilderness, which is like the PVP, the, the payer versus payer part of the game. And you just like get taken down by someone who is better than you. 
and that's it you're starting again when that would happen it would be so devastating that's something that happens in business a lot as well you get knocked down often and you're never left with <laughs> just your underpants and a stick hopefully but you can think you're really really flying and then something comes along out of nowhere and, and takes the wind out of your sails and you've just got to pick yourself back up and get going again super i've got a note about that because again the wilderness as you mentioned then was the area you'd go to to fight other players and risk your items but when you went to the wilderness, there was rewards, there was resources, and there was a reason to go there. And again, it's no different in business. You have to take that risk of almost losing, hopefully not everything, but losing something to gain something. It was bad when you lost, but incredible when you won. But in that sense, in terms of parallels, it offered greater realism. You had to make some serious calculations of the risk versus reward there. I remember going to the wilderness with utter trepidation. There would be things I wouldn't take with me to the wilderness. Like, this is a very powerful weapon or whatever that I've got. It's not worth the gamble. So you'd have like almost secondary set of equipment you'd be willing to take with you. That again is so relevant is that, you know, you might have your armor and your weapons you take with you, but you're not going to take with you all your gold. Business is no different, you know, why risk? certain things you know your structures your organization is going to reflect what you're trying to achieve that's very true and our business we've been having a lot of conversations recently about product development and one thing that we aren't willing to compromise is quality and length of life that's the thing that we're not willing to take with us to the wilderness basically that's the thing that we're not willing to sort of compromise on but the problem with that approach is that things like production lead times can become so 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 much longer than they would be for other businesses you end up playing this toss-up between you know what are the things we are willing to compromise on what are the things we're not willing to compromise on and what's the trade-off between the two so question number two liam can you name a challenging moment in your career and tell us any skills that maybe games helped you develop to help you overcome that moment. There's plenty of challenging moments, but there's one that sticks out as a big one, which was a particular project that wasn't going so well. The end was not in sight. The deadline was kind of passed at this point. The thing that I think I'll keep coming back to with games is kind of that focus on the end result, the thing you're trying to achieve and the resilience and the grind, as we call it in games, that it sometimes takes to get there. So in this particular example, it was getting this project live and ultimately seeing it out there in the wild. But we knew we'd have to put in that grind, that methodical, just there's no replacement for that time. Every game that I've just mentioned has that grind, you know, to get them abilities up, to get them levels. You have to do the boring stuff, particularly in RuneScape. You had to go to the area, do something, go back to the bank, go to the area, do something. You do that thousands of times. When you were finished, when you'd hit that, that target and you could do that new thing, you'd achieved it. This is a very different type of game, but you've just made me think of Candy Crush Saga, which I used to play on my commute to work a few years ago. The problem with it was you'd have these levels where you spend like five days just redoing this level over and over and over again. And then you just get past it. And then you'd hit the next one where you just have to spend another five days doing the same level over and over and over again. But it's that same grind, that same disciplined kind of, I just want to complete this, just want to get through this, get to the end. And not just that, but also if it was just looking to get to the end all the time, then we'd probably get bored. But there's then micro goals in the middle. And it's the same in business or a project is that, you know, to get to level 100, you have to get to level one, then level two, then level three, and so on and so on. You know, the whole project is this big, but let's break it down into small chunks. And we've got that bit done. What's next? That bit done. What's next? And you start to Enjoy the process because you get lots of reward along the way so question number three liam if you were a hero in a game what kind of hero would you be you know what kind of traits 
paint us a picture? Again, this was a really tough question, something I thought about a lot. So I have to go to the type of character that I play in games when I select my character. And it tends to be the archer. So I don't know if you've seen Arrow, the TV show. I suspect my hero would be something like Arrow that is in the shadows, working at a distance, helping the people that are in front to you know slow down the enemies before they get to them, working more strategically. And I think that does cross over really quite nicely into kind of how I operate, looking at that wider picture looking at where people are struggling, where I can help, you know, where should I focus my attack right now, who's who's doing the most damage, something like that, I suspect. Zuki, I'm sure you can relate. I know you've played an archer character yourself and spoken about this. Yeah, I actually talked about the exact same approach on this podcast before. But I think that the angle I looked at it from, which I'm sure you might relate to, is in that role, you're very much on the outskirts, kind of looking in and kind of observing and looking for opportunities. So whereas like a warrior type character might just like dive in, take all the aggro and just kind of like beat everyone up <laughs> it could be quite a costly and risky way of playing whereas like skirting around the edges and picking off opportunities one by one it's a slightly more strategic way of approaching the problem and that is definitely the way that i like to work as well i find it quite difficult when i'm overwhelmed by a million projects at once i'd far rather be like okay this gets my attention it's the most important thing then this one gets my attention that's the next most important thing that's the style that works for me yeah and you can be more strategic as well sometimes you need to support the people that are the warriors that are taking all that damage and sometimes your job is to fire a lot of damage at whoever's out there same in business sometimes you need to support people sometimes you need to spot that they are in trouble and they don't know it and you need to help them in a different way Final question, Liam. Have you seen any good examples of games or, you know, game principles being used in the real world? I think if you start digging into this, there's loads, but I think the number one impactful thing that's changed is around social media and the gamification of that that we don't even know is happening. Social media and its stats and its follower counts and its like counts is the ultimate implementation of gamification. Taking away the morals of what that's caused, that at its core is the biggest impact of gamification in our generation. Definitely, no, I completely agree. And I think it is the epitome of, losing the name, social media, the epitome of a social game. All of it is geared towards those social dynamics that you find in the best social games. It has all of those features and so many of them are done incredibly well. That ultimately is why also some social media is quite addictive but it's been incredibly effective it's all just the way of keeping score like now i think about it like your number of followers just like a score count your likes and shares and all the rest of it there's just various ways of keeping score back in the myspace days i remember there'd be follow for follow groups and, and like for like groups where you just befriend someone they just become a friend on your profile you become a friend on their profile and then suddenly you have more friends and you have this more social clout more points same Hey, it's just keeping score. Yep, that's it. And that score gives you rewards. And then rewards are more visibility. And the more visibility you have, the more reward you get, the more visibility you get, and so on. And that cycle kicks in. That stuff still exists. The whole like, you follow me, I follow you, you comment, I follow. Because the reward, the achievement is getting that visibility for whatever reason you know that person deems necessary it's the ultimate simplicity of a game a gamification and it's probably the biggest game we're playing at the moment most people that are doing it don't even know they're playing right well thank you very much for your answers liam just gonna tally up your dings zuki if you want to tally up yours as well right i've got eight dings zuki how many have you got oh i have 10 dings 10 dings mm-hmm Ooh, 18. That is 18. 
That's a high score. I think it might have broke top three. I don't think it's first place, but it's, it's very much up there. Solid performance. Like. <laughs> Level three, game my problem. Welcome back, listeners, for the final level, which is, of course, Game My Problem, everyone's favourite bit, real real serious content, this bit. So I'm going to read out a business problem that someone's written in, and then we are going to have 60 seconds to solve it. And as I say to every guest, it is genuinely 60 seconds. It's not through the powers of editing you get longer. You will have 60 seconds. So let's take a look at what we got here. Let's read out our Game My Problem. Dear Ben and Zuki, My name is Dora and I run an accountancy firm in London. Accountancy firms are often seen as dull corporate beings. There are also so many that it's difficult standing out from the crowd. We're doing some imminent outreach to potential clients over the next few months and we want to think of ways to stand out. Can you think of a game that might help us do this? Thanks. P.S. Would you like us to manage the accounts for Let's Play Business? <laughs> Zuki, do you want to summarise? You're always the master of this. Absolutely. Dora. So Dora here runs an accountancy firm. There's a stereotype they're quite a dull sort of beast. And she wants to do some client outreach, but in a way that's interesting and energetic and new and fresh. And she wants a game to help with that. I think that sounds like a perfect brief. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Let's see what you can come up with. Your time starts now. Right, time is up. That's your minute up. Would anyone like to go first or do you want to force it upon me? I'm going to force it upon you then. Fair enough. Right, my game is called Save the Books. So what they're going to do as part of this client outreach, they're going to send out like incorrect books, like accounts with mistakes on them. But not like, you know, loads of lines of an Excel, like a kind of spot the different style image. Let's make it like, you know, in space, the account of a space company. And they're gonna send it out and be like, can you spot the problem with these books? And then they're gonna offer out like a prize of a month's free bookkeeping if you spot the difference first 10 to spot the difference and like you could do this as like a video like you could send it out rather than just an image well you could do like an accompanying video or something with actors and everything welcome we can't find out what's wrong with these books da, 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 da. so yeah that was mine i must have even i'm pretty lukewarm on what i love about your idea ben is that you are an accountancy firm asking prospective clients <laughs> to do accounting for you <laughs> it's better than mine so <laughs> i'm glad i've set a bar. Go on then, Zuki. Hit us. Okay, so my game is called Count Cashback. The way it works is essentially you're going to host a, a soiree. A soiree at a castle. Maybe in Transylvania, who knows? You're going to invite a load of prospective clients and it's going to be like a Dracula kind of themed event. So everyone's going to be dressed up in like, you know, white wedding dress kind of things. And Can I just say, Zuki, your idea is sounding a lot more expensive than mine so far. <laughs> We're going to win loads of clients and make money that way. It's investment, Ben. You've got to speculate to accumulate. Basically, everyone who comes to the soiree, they commit to becoming a client. They enter their names into this big cauldron. And then basically what happens is it becomes a lottery. The incentive for them to join, a name gets pulled out of this big cauldron at the end of the evening. And they get all of their accountancy fees paid for the year and if you don't get your accountancy fees paid for the year then you had a lovely soiree <laughs> but you have to become a client still but you have to become a client still. right yeah, yeah. 
I was gonna say I'm, I'm uncertain of the morality of this game, and also <laughs> the you know the blowback from a legal perspective. Look, it's Dracula themed, so like the whole like blood sucking leech kind of capitalism thing is like totally legit because it's Dracula. Count cashback. Yeah, I see where you come from. All right then, Liam. Last but not least, what you got for us? I took a totally different direction here, and I've made a game called Whack the Taxman. This is an educational piece, digital game, mobile app or website. First thing you do would be get shown five facts that are true or false around accountancy practices. So it could be about tax rates or anything. You hit true or false. Depending on how many you get right, it gives you a number of seconds in a kind of whack-a-mole situation, in which case the tax man will appear. And then the high score, so the person that whacks the most tax men or women, will receive their accounts for free. Oh, that's quite a good one, that is. <laughs> Built into this mechanic, the people who've made the mistakes and got the things wrong, they'll learn that along the way, and then they'll be like, oh, they know something that I don't. And also, if I do this myself, I'm screwed, so I better pay some fees and get it sorted. So we've got three games there. So we've got Save the Books, Count Cash Back, and then we've got Whack the Tax Man. So there you go, Dora. Try all three if you've got the budget. Just see what one works. It's like bowling, trial and error. So Liam, thank you very much for coming on to this episode of Let's Play Business. Have you had a good time? Yeah, great fun. And thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Are you going to try and implement Whack the Tax Man in any way as your own game? I'm expecting once this goes live, we're going to get phone calls left, right and centre to build that game from accountancy firms all over the world. Brilliant. And I look forward to taking commission. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Let's Play Business. If you've got a business problem that you'd like our help with, then please email in your dilemma to letsplaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. That's letsplaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Also, we'd of course love a recommendation. So if you've got a friend that loves tempin bowling or something similar, we'd love for you to make them aware of our podcast. All of our social media handles will be in the show notes, as well as links to my company, Alternate Experiences, in case you want to have a peek at what we offer. But for now, I've been your host, Ben Fowler. And I've been your host, Zuki. And thank you again for listening. We'll see you next episode. That's game over, I'm afraid, folks. But you stay classy, San Diego. That's good, right?